0: Time. Not sermons. I've been around the block a lot.
1: <laughs> and
0: when somebody is starting to ask me a question, which is a mini sermon, I'm going to interrupt you. And fair warning. I'm going to say that's not a question. You're actually preaching. Thanks a lot, Carlos. Take the mic. Somebody else. And then don't be offended because I'm telling you now, because it's Paul says everything must be done for edification and everything in order. For God is a God of order, not disorder. A God of peace, not of disunity. And in a group this size is not like a 10-person fellowship group. There has to be a sense of responding to a question. Somebody else asks maybe a build-on question to that, or another aspect to it, or whatever it is. So those are the only rules, they're real simple. The other rule is I'll try and answer. Okay, that's mine.
1: Thank you, Chris. Um, some of us will come across um, whether it's a family member or or a friend or just an acquaintance who maybe attending some of uh, those churches that we could have hinted about, where prophecy is used as a as a pawn, you know, to to show off. Once I okay. don't know what we can. So if someone comes to me now, I understand, and this is very fruitful for, for, for me and, 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 and I trust for everyone else here. But if, let's say, one of us is to be approached by a person like that yeah. and say, oh, I had a prophecy, my, my prophet, a church prophesied this on me. Yeah. How, how do we react to that? Okay. With love.
0: Well, <laughs> well, there you go. That's the starting place. The starting place is because I really care for this person. I'm going to try and help them to understand without being judgmental, without getting onto a big high horse and a soapbox. And so, one of the best ways is to just question, say, "So, did you test that against the scripture? Uh, did, did that point to Jesus, or is it, you know, lifting up the preacher? What, what do you think?" And help them to think through it. And then, it wouldn't surprise me after a few minutes they say, "Well, actually, I, I, I don't think I'm comfortable anymore with these." But you don't you know, come down heavy. You just help the person to understand by giving them the rules, the principles, and helping them to test it themselves. Yes, sir. Hi, Chris.
1: Hi. I just have two questions, but they're both very short questions that you can answer. The okay. first question I'll put out is, in 1 Corinthians 14, how we stop at verse 33, how do the remaining verses in that chapter connect to prophecy? And then the second question, when we see prophecy in Scripture, how should we interpret it and come to understand prophecy? Those are my two questions.
0: Okay, the first, if anybody understands understands that. The point I made earlier is, as Paul is going through, particularly in chapter 12, uh, he's dealing with three things here, well, at least two. He talks about gifts, but in actual fact the word for gift is spiritual matters literally translated, Paul says I do not want you to be ignorant of spiritual matters in fact let me read it to you here he says there are different kinds of gifts, grace gifts graceless spiritual things but the same spirit, there are different kinds of service but the same Lord and there are, di- uh, and there are different kinds of working he's talking about ministries and manifestations and if you actually look at the, the underlying Greek words of that it comes more clearly. He's talking about the Holy Spirit manifesting through individuals, and he's talking about individuals who then minister in a particular area. When you go to Romans, for instance, he then builds out a bit more on those ministry areas, and adds in other things like administration and leadership, and so on and so forth. So, you've just got to look carefully at this, and as you're going through chapter 12, ask yourself, is this the manifestation of the Holy Spirit through the person, or is this a ministry being described here. And as you do, it becomes fairly clear because he starts talking about those who minister, those who prophesy, and then he starts talking about prophets. So as you go through the passage, it becomes relatively clear, but you've got to understand that he's definitely dealing with two things under the umbrella of spiritual matters.
1: Verse 34? 34. 34 is a very discussed verse. I know it's cause gone through our church history and that. So I was just wanting to see your thoughts on the Women should remain silent. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Action to the prophecy and yep. order in the church. Yep. And then I know it's one that comes up. Okay.
0: Yes. That's absolutely right. I mean, it's a hot potato issue. Does this mean that women ought to remain silent throughout a church service? Of is it's categorical. No, because early on, Paul talks about that, about head covering, which was the cultural sign of the person being in the right relationship within their home structure. And he then says, so if a woman is outside of that structural arrangement within their home, in other words, they're out of order, then they may not pray or prophesy. I actually uses those words. So we know that in the early church, women were prophesying. But he says, everything must be in order. So he lays out the order for these things. So the, the verse referring to... The, Certainly my understanding and the consensus of most fairly conservative scholars would be that this is referring to the prophetic ministry. If a person is speaking out, then they need to be in the right relationship within their homes and within the church. Okay, and That's probably about as far as I can go down that track without turning this into a, a discussion on women's roles. But I have... Get onto my, my my website, truthistheword.com. I've written a long article about that. Okay. So the question is, uh, do we do we understand prophetic passages differently? Well, the answer is yes, because there are different genres of of language used throughout Scripture. So, for instance, the Book of Revelation is is known as apocalyptic literature. It has a particular style, particular emphasis on visions and images and so when you're reading something apocalyptic a lot of Daniel is apocalyptic literature then you'd understand it in terms of its genre prophecy is as well is, is often quite stylized often put into a poetic form uh, some of it was sung actually hopefully they had better voices uh, and so yeah when, we, uh, when we're reading uh, a didactic passage is a teaching passage when you're reading a teaching passage you would understand this in terms of the use, the normal use of language if you're reading a prophetic passage you give poetic license you've got to understand, hang on a second there's going to be overemphasis, there's going to be repetition and so on ok more over there
2: I agree with you that um, there's a much, much made of prophecy, and one tends to be skeptical about that. Um, there's one point which you I'm not sure of uh, with what all the points you've uh, pointed to um, with checking to see if okay. if that is so. Okay. Um, what about a situation where um, a person has dreamt? and has shared the dream which has included the couple and then another person has interpreted that. Um, Then after that, there's prayer, but the prayer then falls into prophecy which lines up with the same thing. Then you also have a vision. Then you yourself have a dream Um, and that's in a a space of five days.
0: does that yeah. Uh, point I went to earlier uh, was: what are the different forms that prophecy takes? Dreams, visions, enactments—all sorts of things fall under the same umbrella, but they all need to be subject to the same testing. Be it a dream, be it a waking vision, you still apply the same test: does this conform to the principles, values, and precedents of the Scripture? Does it point us to Jesus or to man? Does it build up and edify? Does it have a life-giving quality of the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Then it doesn't matter what form it came in. And we have to be open to the different ways that God can speak. We can't put Him into a box and say, He only speaks through preaching. Or things of that nature. Kiri, okay. wait for the mic. I
2: hope I can remember what I wanted to say. yes. Um, Elise, um I just wanted to, uh, just in the frame of that question that's just been asked, because yeah. um, that's a lot of words received within a relatively short space of time. Yeah. When one receives a prophecy or hears something that you believe God is speaking to, does, it, does one then sort of go into a place of reflection and how does this tie in to what... I believe the Lord is doing in my life at this particular point in time. So there's a, there's a space for the prophecy, but then it's in all the tests and lining up the, with the Word of God. But I'm asking, then it must be surely lined up with our current relationship and what the Lord is saying to us at, at that particular
0: point in time. Sure. Again, with the proviso that that all conforms to those basic tests. Because those are basic blanket godly tests to make sure that this is God speaking, whether it's in a short space of time, whether it's a number of different events, or whatever it is you apply the same test the other important issue here let's go back to Agabus what happened to him was that he faithfully delivered the prophecy, but he didn't allow other people to interpret it I've found often that the person who delivers the prophecy shouldn't try and interpret it I've seen, I've heard it too many times they start to embellish on it because they are genuinely, you know, they're not fakes, they're genuinely trying to understand what they're saying, so therefore they start interpreting. And often it needs somebody else to, to hear, test, ah, oh. that's how that lines up, that's how that. Now that goes to the time period. I think I said earlier, act immediately or as soon as possible. And as soon as possible sometimes means a period of waiting. And I find that that, for me, always applies if it's personally to me. If somebody brings me a prophetic word, then I will never, never is a hang of a big word, very, very, very seldom respond quickly. I tend to stick it into the back of my Bible, think about it a lot, pray about it a lot, never try and attempt to make it work. You've spoken, Lord, so therefore I'm going to make this thing happen and weigh it carefully over time where the immediate response is required is when somebody else is involved and often you have to act very quickly even even although you, you you know tremblingly unsure you've tested as best you can you've asked for confirmation from somebody else because sometimes you just have to do it because that's their moment and if they miss that they, they miss it all I had an example of a guy I was sitting in the cry room there I was going to be preaching that Sunday And as we were praying before the service, I really felt I heard the Holy Spirit. In fact, it gave me a strong picture. I saw a man, and I saw him in detail. I saw him coming in, and I saw exactly where he was sitting. Three from the side. You, sir. You're sitting exactly where you're sitting. it wasn't you. you were sitting exactly where you were sitting. And so I told the guys in the pre meeting I said, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to me. I need you to know beforehand. I get up and I start preaching and blow me down there he's sitting so halfway through the sermon I had to, I tried to apply these tests as best I could and then I stopped and I said sir, you're here for a reason today, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now and he said absolutely from the moment I walked in, he was a visitor by the way first time God has started to speak to me from the moment I put my bottom on the chair it. turned out that he was going to have lunch with one of our elders that day, and that 's why he had come to the service because he was going for lunch with one of our elders, so he was then able to sit with him, and they were able to work it right through and check it out and test it and apply it and but that had to be said then okay. so these are principles and not rules because if you if, if, you know you cannot box the workings of God, you can apply biblical principles to this as far as we can go yeah.
2: in a case like that where you know that now is the moment yeah. uh, and you don't have time to consult other people yeah. uh, are there physical manifestations that make you recognize that it's from God and not just a nice thought
0: no and I'll tell you why no it's because um, different people respond very very differently and it's again because over the last maybe 20, 30 years, in many church circles, we've put too much emphasis on outward manifestation. So if a person trembles, we say the Holy Spirit, they're like the Quakers of old. You know, my grandfather was a Quaker. And they they would sit in a, in a room along the walls. And, and they were silent for hours until somebody started to shake. Then they'd say, you've got the word today, brother. They have always brothers, sisters are busy cooking lunch, shame. That was, that was another day, right? And then that person would speak. And we've kind of got a bit of that in some of our church circles. There's the falling and the trembling and the, the crying and the shaking of knees and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's highly un- unreliable, personally. might happen. But I don't think it's something that I would look to as an authentication. I have a simple question if someone is a prophet, is it for life or he can lose the gift of prophecy? It opens up, that actually opens up a a much bigger thing. I'll try and address that quickly. There, There is teaching abroad, particularly in charismatic church circles, where giftings are given in perpetuity, so that God will gift you with a certain thing, a gift of prophecy. And so you have all these questionnaires. When I was a young Christian, there was a questionnaire called the to Questionnaire. Find your gifting. Tick 33 boxes. I don't, believe that. I don't believe that's what Paul is teaching. I believe what he's saying is all of us can prophesy. I wish that all of you would speak in tongues as I do. Because it's the, the Holy Spirit ministering at that moment through the person. If it happens many times, because that person is particularly receptive, then we would say, Lola, or whoever it is, has a ministry of prophecy. And and that might be for a period of time, that might be for a period, and then you can do something else. Because it's the Holy Spirit who's gifting other people. So again I want to state it this way spiritual gifts are gifts not to the person delivering but to the person and persons receiving. That's what a gift is. So if I give a prophecy, I am not gifted with prophecy. The person who receives it or the body that receives it has received a gift. I was the messenger boy. And it's very cool to be a messenger boy. I'd like to constantly be a messenger boy.
1: Yeah. Um, just a question. If, for example, you have a prophecy you want to share, but for some other reason, you, you
0: just cannot do it there, um, your Bravery
1: fails you uh, what then uh, what is, is is it yeah what then
0: okay so I'm assuming it's uh, it's for the body and not for an individual if it's for an individual you, you can normally seek them out you normally get a second bite at that one if it's for the body you know what if you're, if you're motivated by love and your courage fails you and your knees are knocking so loud that you can't hear your own tongue. And we've been there, all of us, I think, at one point. God is gracious. He'll give you another opportunity. If you just go home and say, Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm really pretty sure you wanted to speak, and I just it failed me. Please give me another chance. He will. There'll be another opportunity in another service, maybe in a fellowship group, in a Bible study, teaching you might then find your courage and pop up and say this. Try not to just tell the pastor afterwards. That's more frustrating for him as well. Anybody else? We've got time. We've got lots of time. I can't believe that we've covered everything. There must be other questions. Oscar, yes, you can have a third. <coughs> <coughs>
1: Yes. The the third, what's
0: your name?
1: It's Donovan. Yes. John. Donovan. 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 Yes. Great. Oh, so I think, uh, you know, I yes. need to have a relationship <laughs> <with you. laughs> I just figured if no one else is asking, you know, I <laughs> Uh You spoke a bit about the anointing. Mm-hmm. How would you define and explain that, just thinking of which passages you would go to?
0: In Scripture, often it talks about the anointing of God. And it talks about some... Uh, some visible things like the Shekinah and Moses comes down the mountain his face is shining and things of that nature but um, the way somebody described to me, funny enough just the other day I was sitting with a fellow pastor and I was saying um, what are the tests that you would apply and he said, uh, he always asked the question is it life giving now that's really hard to define yet it's actually quite easy to identify So it's very hard for me to respond to the definition but when it happens I certainly know something is giving me life. That that something of, of God's presence is impacting me positively even if it's a word of correction. It's doing something in me which says yes, that's good. God is good. As opposed to the thing which just said yeah, it's nice. You know God loves you. He's got a special plan for your life, you know. That's nice. But when he really speaks to you, says, yes, it's carrying the anointing of God. I can't really get beyond that because it's not defined in Scripture, so I have to respond in that way. Yes, okay, the point he made there was you read in other places like John, which says, you know, we don't need fancy pants teachers to teach us the things of God because the anointing of God also rests with us he was dealing specifically with the false teachers in the body, and he was saying you don't need these guys standing up, and and some of them were ladies as well, um, priestesses, and saying I have the word of God. It's like we have it today. We have these people who say I am the man of God. I come from the temple of God. Only I have the word. Now we don't need that, because the same Holy Spirit will anoint all of us with truth. That's the import of that particular person. Yes,
1: ma'am. I just wanted to ask, would God ever give us prophetic words for someone who's not a believer?
0: And then the second part to the question is, if that person, if that is so, how do you confront that with a person who's not a believer and that they don't think that if
1: it's a correctional word, that it's not just coming from you being nasty or whatever, that it's actually coming from God?
0: Okay. The first part of the it is easy to answer. The first one is yes. And again, the Bible is replete of that. I mean, some of those Old Testament prophets, it wasn't just the people of God they spoke to. I mean, they spoke to foreign kings, pagan kings, and they just said, this is what God is saying. Of course, because He loves people. And it's supposed to be a word that edifies and builds them up. The problem is, how do you deliver that in love to that person? And normally the very worst thing you can do if you really care for them, is to just say, "Um, this is not me who's speaking, this is what God is saying, and then they say, yeah, come on. And they just reject you and the word. No, you've got to rather find a way of reasoning. You're convinced that God is saying this. Now find a way to present it where they can hear you. And as I was saying to Admar just now, one of the ways you do that is by leading them through a process, helping them to discover these things and say, can this really be good for you and your family? Is this really what you would call godly? And you probe gently until they, often the light comes up because he wants to speak to them. Often the worst thing you can do is, I've got, got a word for you, sister. Wham! That's seldom in love because it does not have that effect in their lives. I mean,
1: Uh, You're
2: talking about um, words that sound like just a nice word, compared to a life-giving word. Again, that's—I would say—I would. Maybe this wasn't a question, but (laughs) there are people in the congregation that's a life-giving word for. So, as a person that's bringing a word, I should. It's not about me. It's about the fact that I just want to be obedient. And I've been in the position that that guy was saying where, where. I wanted to. I felt that God was saying something. I never read it or said it or okay. whatever. So and if you had
0: phrase this as a question, how would you put it?
2: Yes, I just want to encourage people that it is true. Ah. It's it's a gift for the for the person who's receiving it.
0: Okay, so, so, so the question is: Could this not be a genuine gift for somebody? Yes.
2: Yes, yes. Even though it yes. might seem like it's just a nice word. Yes. It's for the person. Yes. So
0: of course it can. Yes like a statement I was trying to encourage. That's fine. It was a
1: statement.
0: That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I've known Irene for a long time. <laughs> Hang on. But I just want to get back on that. The, the point again here is that I was talking about us recognizing stuff. So I'm saying often something is said, and then to me I'll say, Ah, oh, yeah. You know, that's like a cliched saying. I've heard that so many times. But you know, if the person who's received that truly believes that God is speaking and that somebody needs to hear that and he's speaking in obedience, then you're right. Then somebody will receive that as a life-giving anointed one. And then that's great. See, those kind of things never need correction in the body of Christ anyway. Because they conform with the general principles. So they never need somebody to hop up and say, no, hang on a sec, that's not a prophecy. You know, that's the last thing anybody in authority is going to do. Because, because those, those are fine. It's just that the recipient will always know, ugh, you know, ho-hum, oh, oh, boom. Yeah.
2: Yeah, in our time, is it a sin to go to consult a prophet?
0: I think it's unwise. I think it's unwise. Because God initiates. And, one, number one, prophets are few and far between. Genuine prophets. Secondly, if God wants you to know something, He's going to speak to you on His initiative. Normally, when we go and consult something, it's like consulting a soothsayer. You might as well be asking the person, uh, "Throw the throw the cards open for me and see if there's a Jack of Diamonds in there." It's a, it's a dangerous practice. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't countenance. I wouldn't class it as sin. I would say it's unwise.
2: Um, just lastly, is it not helpful um, to journal these sort of things yes. so that you can always reflect back because uh, certain things might happen now but maybe happens later and then yes. you've got uh, a, okay, that's a
0: great. Uh, that's a great question. Um, when th- when, particularly when things are personal. I, mean, I have that as a spiritual discipline. I keep a spiritual journal. I do not write in it every day. I only write in when I believe God is saying something to me. I write it down and I check it and test it sometimes over years. and uh, Every now and then I go through and actually take a pen and put lines through something. Nah, nah, nah. These have been shown not to, I didn't hear right. I didn't hear right. I thought, yes, I'm still as convinced now as then. Often prophetic words, let me describe them this way, they're like time capsules that are given to us now to be opened later. Because when the time capsule is opened later, we say, surely God has spoken, surely He's good. He knew when I didn't. And that is a very encouraging thing. So it's a good discipline to keep when it comes to personal words that one believes God is speaking, to journal them and visit them often and test them over time. Yeah, thank you for that. Any other questions? We've got some time. Don't, don't listen to your husband in this particular instance that scripture doesn't apply That. Uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> what happens if you're in the service and you get a prophetic word which is not really going the flow of what's happening yes. in the service and you feel the strong urge to, to speak it out do you first go to the elder on duty or do you take that step and, and flow
0: Well, uh, so, in practical terms, what Paul is speaking about is we've all experienced this to some degree or other. So you're in a prayer meeting. And, you know, the things that have been said and the scriptures that have been read and the prayers that have been offered all seem to cohere. They're cohesive around a particular theme or issue or direction. And something suddenly breaks through that into something that's different. If that's you, I would say... Test it and test it and test it again because it might be something that's not for them. What I've found is uh, being in the Spirit, often for the first time in a week, you might be in a place where you're actually for the first time listening. You've had such a busy week. Now you're coming to this gathering, this prayer meeting, whatever it is, and you are in the Spirit and you're attentive to the things of the Spirit and you hear something, but it doesn't seem to be appropriate. Remember I said one of the tests is, is it appropriate? Well, then you, then you journal it or hold it, and you wait for the appropriate moment, the appropriate occasion. The bigger problem comes when people do blurt it out, and then whoever's leading that particular group has a, a job to re steer back on course without being unloving. Thank you so much for that, but. You know, let's get back to what we were, you know. So that's, that's what I would do. I would, I would not just describe it. But is it appropriate for now? Often the answer is no. So then hold it. The appropriate time will come.
2: Um, I'm going to try and phrase this as a question. (laughs) Um, Would you say there is biblical foundation for music being a tool in prophecy? I'm thinking of the anointing, for instance. Um, But we've given the, the definition now that prophecy is a word spoken under inspiration. So, will it always be words? I think that's my question. Or can music play a role in prophecy? I know some churches uh, would call it prophesying on an instrument or in singing. Is there any biblical foundation for that? Or is that a man-made phrase?
0: The very definition of prophecy is speaking under inspiration, prophetess. Pro form, and it's to articulate. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't try and put a box around that, um, because sometimes it is singing. often, it's, sometimes it's the sung word. Sometimes music has the evocative power to help people to become receptive and to come, become in the spirit, and so that they can hear. And that's one of the massive uh, powers of of anointed music. My only objection to music in terms of prophecy is where it is purposefully, manipulatively used as a background to try and whip up the prophetic word from the guy with the, the collar the wrong way around. Then I have a problem. But I would have absolutely no problem again. And you look at some of the songs. It says there to the director of music, you know. And so music played this role in, in, in this. And some of the songs are highly Prophetic. God's speaking to his people and, and you see that, to the director of music they, they're they supposed to be singing. They had music involved. I couldn't go further than that, but I'd merely have a check in the manipulative use and I'd be totally open to any form of music because I believe that music is God-given too. You see. I think anybody who's studied music has to come to the conclusion that there's something really special here. The way it's actually structured and, and, and it's a power to evoke we're time for a few others, if you like. If, no, <laughs> <laughs> if, if a prophecy goes out, and I feel it's for me, and I just feel it is for me, yeah. But then I think, okay, what do I do then? Because it could also be for somebody else. Okay. See again, how does one know that a prophetic word is for you? If it's not, you know, eyeball to eyeball. You know, you fix you with the eyes, and uh, well, again, there's a quickening of the spirit. It's what I was saying earlier. Some things are life-giving. You, you know, yes. And then you need to respond to that in integrity and truth. You respond to that because you know that God has spoken to you. It depends on what it was said. Go down on your knees, worship hang, um, I've had uh, prophetic words to folk and um, being been part of them or witnessed them or whatever it was where they really have been instructed, you better go from the service and go on home and pick up your telephone and phone your sister that you haven't spoken to for 10 years and make it right. And somebody sitting there said, that's me. And they're out of there and then you hear the next Sunday. This is what they did. And the sister said, I've been waiting for this call. I'm just overjoyed that uh, you've finally seen your error. That's <laughs> how <laughs> <laughs> so it normally works, right? <laughs> so, so, number one, you appropriate it because it's quickened to you. So if there's the life-giving quality of God speaking something to you. You respond appropriately in terms of its content. And you respond with integrity and actually act
2: Hi. Um, I just wanted to find out, um, you know, there's a lot of rise, there's a lot of prophets in our times. Um, So most people go because these people profess Christ. Uh, They can read out your ID number, they can do a lot of stuff. So, but I just want to find out what has led to the rise in in these prophets and people being drawn to, to them in large numbers.
0: I can't answer that without being critical, so let me, let me go for it. It's in my nature. There are many true and genuine people of God, genuine prophetic voices in the world in, in the church today, and thank God for them. Unfortunately, there are many who aren't, and they are manipulative men and women, who are trying to make profit out of being a prophet. And they, also there is the clairvoyant prognostication, which is not from God, it's from the devil, where they believe. Here's how it works. If I can tell you something about your past, you're going to believe me. So they trot out something about your past. Well, you know, guess what? Since the day you drew your first breath, there's been demons watching you. They're all around us. Well don't know exactly what you did. It's a big deal if somebody who's listening to them comes and tells you. You know, I saw you talking to your mother the day and you shouldn't have said that. <gasps> this must be a prophet. That's not how we test. We test against the tests I've given. And there's one other. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. What is their fruit? Their life quality. That's the fruit. This person, this man or this woman, how do they live? Do they live humbly? Do their lives point to Jesus? Or do their lives point to the jet on the, on the tombeau? Do their lives point to edification of the church or enriching their bank account? What is the fruit of their lives? That's That's the big test of a prophet, not a prophecy. You'll know them by their fruit.